Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message. I want you to notice that it is very, very possible to be a born-again Christian and to go to heaven and not to live in any overt sins to speak of ever and to love God and not be necessarily critical or not to live with a critical spirit, but never to truly, thoroughly understand how to build yourself up. One of the most common things lacking today is people that depend upon somebody else for their spirituality. They depend upon somebody else for their spirituality. I'm not negating the fact that, thank God, we need each other's portions and we need one another's edification and we'll be going into that. But the principle is the believer must build himself up and he must know how to do that. And it says in the most holy faith and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God in Romans 10, 17. Now, how will they hear without a preacher and how will a preacher go if he isn't if he's not sent? So here's a picture that the Holy Faith is talking about the word of God as building the person up. Now, Acts, the 20th chapter, the 32nd verse, Paul said, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. So what is it that builds up the word of his grace? He said, I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. You got that? All right. He didn't say sing 90 minutes in outward worship and that'll do it. He said, I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to give you full strength. The word able is ex ukuo, and it means to give you full strength right where you need it, in the inside. You know what the problem is with God trying to get people to build themselves up? The problem why people can't build themselves up is they have no proper study habits. I'm talking about good people that some of you would rave about that don't know spiritually how to build themselves up. Now, don't misunderstand me. They're good people. They're going to go to heaven. They're safe. But they don't know how to build themselves up. Now, if, you, if we're not built up once, what happens in the marriage? We communicate the content of our soul. And if the soul isn't built up in the Lord... The communication is not of the right content. Let's continue. What we communicate is not going to build somebody up because we're not built up. Now, we may be good people. We may be established in morality. But what we communicate does not build up the hearer, the husband or the wife. So far, are you with me? Another reason why believers do not build themselves up, is 
the wrong things are in their soul already. In other words, they have the wrong soul structures. For example, a structure I didn't mention last night is found in 2 Corinthians 6, 11 and 12. Paul was accused by the church at Corinth of causing them emotional problems by his attitude. So in verse 11, he said, My heart is enlarged. I carry you in my memory center. I love you. I'm thinking of you a lot. He said, You are not straightening us. Now, straighten means upset, frustrated, perplexed, narrowed down to emotional problems. He said, We're not causing it. Then he said, You are straightened in your own bowels. And we've taught you from day one that bowels means in the, it's a mononym meaning emotions. So he said, your problem with your frustration, perplexity is your own emotions. That's your problem. Not us, not my sermons, not my letters, not the other pastors that have been in Corinth, but your emotions. Your problem is you. The late Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, The trouble is with you. Now then, the problem with the church at Corinth happened to be that they had a a soul structure based upon subjectivity. In other words, the first foundation of their soul was emotionalism. And anyone that has emotionalism as the foundation of their soul structure is very vulnerable for a lot of different ministries today that are minus categorical teaching. How am I going to live by every word of God if I don't know much about it? How am I going to live by categories if I haven't heard them? And how am I going to hear them without a pastor? How am I going to build myself up in the most holy faith if I don't have the doctrine from the teacher to do it? Because you can't just study. You can study and be blessed, and you should, and God will bless you and teach you. But you will never be able to advance properly and correctly unless you're in a a local assembly and you're committed to a local ministry. Now, I want you to notice this. Emotionalism is the premise. Subjectivity is the discernment. God told me, 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 God told me. God told me what to say today. God told me what not to say last night. God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. You say, doesn't God speak? Yes. Doesn't God tell people things? Yes. In this book, and then the Holy Spirit interprets that with a spirit of truth, not the letter, but the spirit of truth in practical applications. Of course, God speaks to you and me and to everyone this born again. But I get sick of these guys that their language is, God told me what to do today. He probably did, but the way they're saying it, God's on vacation. I mean, from them. Why? Because they have a soul structure based upon emotionalism and they live with subjective values. Subjective values. Result of emotionalism as a foundation of a soul structure with subjective values is that that person is frustrated, perplexed, and at, in their best days, hyper-spiritual. I was alone last night. Oh, I can't even tell it's between God and I. 
I'm not writing that down, friends. I'm just exposing a lot of Christianity in a nutshell, and you know I'm right. You know I'm right. We'll leave that one because of time. Number two, then we have what we call the foundation of self-love, self-interest. I'm not going to church because I don't like George. George who? I forgot his last name. Okay. Foundation for this. The Second Timothy 3.2. Men will be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Disobedient to parents unthankful, okay, you want some more, incontinent, no self-control when it comes to details, fierce, despises of those that have divine goodness, hear that one, despises of those that have divine goodness, and just to mention something else here very quickly, There's another problem. They're heady. They're high-minded. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They're they're false accusers. And here's something else. They're truce breakers. Despises those of good. Then, in the same family of this particular soul structure, false accusers, because you've got to accuse to defend your structure, heady, High-minded, high-minded, very heady, pseudo-intellectualism. High-minded, pseudo-spirituality. All right? Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the real enageo, or the real power of the precious Holy Spirit. Now, Second Timothy 3, in perilous times... In the last days, perilous times will come. Now, I want you to see this soul structure. It's self-love. You meet a Christian that's backslidden and they're not living in overt sin. Yes, we're going to buy a new house. Yes, the baby. How's your baby? This is my baby. How's the baby? How's the baby? Uh, how, how are you doing? Yes, I'm going to buy. No, what are you going to do? Yes, I'm going to have a better job. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, by the way, let's pray. Oh, later, later, later. What's that? Self-love. They live in self-interest, and you can tell them 25 miles away, especially if you have a radio to hear their voice. But anyway, you got to think with me to be shot. Now listen, self-love. What's the result of self-love? You know it. You know what it is. I had a party the other day. <laughs> Just about at three. Well, anyway, self-love. I ate all the sandwiches. I drank all the tea. It was also I that ate the pie and passed the cake to me. I messed up the first two lines, but God... That fellow fellow didn't have any self-love. He just had a a, a party of wine, you know. Hey, don't misunderstand. I think it's the most beautiful thing to have a precious family. And to love it and to build a beautiful home. It's precious, it's sacred, it's beautiful. But I also think you don't put God in a corner and church in a corner and act like some, uh, I won't choose the vocabulary. Word that I had in mind. I'll save that for subjectivity. 
May your imaginations explore the possibility. Really? But you see, this person, if the rapture came today, they'd say, Oh, not today, God, we're building a house! I got nothing wrong with building a house, friends, not a bit. I'm just trying to tell you, build three or four and glorify God with them. But you know that you know, you know the moment you say this, people, some people get under conviction. You know why? Because that's where they're living. There's a self-interest, self-love foundation. You know what you have to do when the conviction of God's word comes? Protect your value system by accusing the one that tells the truth. You've got to protect your value system. You see, a carnal believer spends a lot of time protecting why he is the way he is. And if he's really off, and you and I are really on, he'll spend three years <laughs> talking about it. You see him four years, oh, how's it going there? I'm doing great. We just had our third kid, and we, we just put on a new roof. Yeah, we just, we're going to send up people to Ecuador, to Brazil, and uh, to Australia, and to New Zealand, and to Italy, and to Spain. Oh, yes, and furthermore, we're going to have new sighting. Well, my wife said we ought to have seven kids. I hope they do, and they all go to mission field. <laughs> See, that's sacred and beautiful. That is. It's beautiful to put a strong emphasis on a sacred and beautiful home, as long as the soul structure isn't self-love, self-interest, and self-preservation. Got it? And I want to clarify it. We don't think it's... It's carnal to have things. We just want to put God first. All right? The next thing I want to tell you about soul structures is 1 John 2, 15, 16, 17. Here it is. The Bible says to love not the world, neither anything that's in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But all that is in the world, that is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of life, they are not of the Father. But whosoever doeth God's will, what? A man loves the Father, that's right. If he doeth the will, and he will abide forever. Is that what it says? Abide is forever. Okay, now notice it carefully. The premise of this soul structure is pride. The foundation is pride, and this soul structure builds itself up with the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is, stands for, in the original language, if you study it, practical application relates to demonization. Not demon possession, ever. Demonization. When demons influence the believer. Number two. The lust of the flesh, the old sin nature, controls either in natural good or evil the function of the soul by the cognizance of the human volition. Number three, the pride of life, an authority for you to be independent based upon individual rights. Now, we all ought to be free. We all ought to do our own thinking. We ought to do our own choosing. Nobody should invade our privacy. But by the same token, the authority for that independence should not be ego. 
It shouldn't be pride. The authority should be humility and brokenness and the cross. Got it? So this is a wrong soul structure. Here's somebody. Well, um, I'm 21 now. Great. You were 20 last year. Uh, you'll be 22 next year. You'll die one day. <laughs> well, nobody's going to tell me. That's right. And you pay for your own consequences. If you want to rob a bank, then you pay for robbing it. If you want to murder somebody, they don't say, sorry, I did it. There's consequences in murder. Capital punishment ought to be. We believe in capital punishment. And uh, we believe it simply because the Bible teaches it, by the way. Uh, starting in Genesis 9, 6. Before Mount Sinai ever happened. Now, here's the picture. Here's the soul structure where somebody, they don't know it, but they don't live in categorical doctrine. They don't live in the honor code of the national entity. They don't live in the believer priest honor code either. And they, they may have the right. They have a right and they can do what they want to, but they got to remember this. The thing that they're doing is their, their foundation for what they've got in their soul is pride and their independence is unlawful because they're rooted in the wrong sources and the wrong resources. For me to look down today and see many beautiful Christians here who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who have the filling of God. And in their heart. And the Holy Spirit is filling them. That's a prerequisite for rest. With the word. Now, the second thing here is edification. And this is a beautiful word because it's going in to this great principle. The word edification is here that they are building a structure. They are building a structure in oikos. And the verb is demo. And they're erecting something. Now, this particular group of churches, also, the Greek word is used, oikidomos. The thing they used for building the erection was the word, Acts 20.32, the word of God. So here's a picture of they were building something. What were they using to build it with? The word of God. The word of God. Where were they building it? Inside their soul. What happened? That all the churches had rest. Number two, they were edified. They were erecting something with doctrine. The word of God was the material used in the structure, in the building. Number three, these individuals had the fear of the Lord. And we'll, I want you to think of what the fear of God is. The, the noun for fear is phobos. And it means influencing your disposition and attitude by having your circumstances guided because of a tremendous trusting in the presence of God. It means you believe that God is present. You believe that God is everywhere. You believe that God is in your heart. You believe he's in this room. You believe he's in your next decision. So you trust him. And as you trust him, it changes your disposition and guides your attitude, and therefore, that's fear. That's what fear is. 
That's why Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not a fear that has dread. It's not a fear that has torment. It's not a fear that has guilt. That kind of fear is delia, D-E-I-L-I-A. It's a cowardly kind of fear that's intimidated. In 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a cowardly fear or a fear that has horror. Not at all, or terror. But God has given us to work out our deliverance through being guided by doctrine and having our, our presence of God direct us the structure of our soul and how we build ourselves up on the inside so that our whole disposition and attitude is influenced by the Holy Spirit and God are right inside of us. It's a beautiful fear. And 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Leaving all the filthiness of the soul and spirit, let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. And that means let us build a structure inside of our soul with our disposition and attitude being controlled by the word of grace that does the building up. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 11. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Your own bowels there, talking about a word for the emotions. They didn't have words for the emotions in the Greek or the Hebrew, and they used these anatomical functions of the body to talk about emotions. Really, this instability of the human heart. Second Timothy 3, starting in verse 1 through 7, has this whole list of the qualities, the qualities of the natural man, the unstable soul. And a pastor in the, in the message went over some of them. It was, it was very good really and it's good that we know that these being lovers of our own selves covetousness boast, boasters proud without natural affection traitors heady high minded lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof we speak about this and we can see these things as external behaviors that we should not participate in and that we can leave it there but Really, the reality is is that instability of mind that leads to these sort of methods of dealing with reality in life are not things in and of themselves to be avoided, but they're results of having an unstable soul, of not being built up in, in, in who we are and what God thinks about us. So the outpouring is sinful behavior and making bad choices. And this doesn't excuse man has a volition and willfully makes these choices and is accountable to them. 
but God has a desire and through building uh, a capacity in a person that we would have at our fingertips his mind, his thoughts through the word of God, the word of God is given that we would have access to his mind and therefore have the ability to make good choices because we're built up in the truth. In Hebrews 13.9, it says, Be not carried away with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them, which have been occupied therein. Oh, and even that last point of that statement is, is important to understand, that we don't want to be occupied with methods of thinking that have not been profitable spiritually, that have not produced transformation in the lives of others. Why would we want to occupy ourselves that way? Unfortunately, people use the law, and they use rules and regulations to try to stabilize the human heart, to provide guidelines. The law was never meant for that purpose. Romans 3.19 is very clear. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law is not useful in my spiritual life to produce transformation. It was useful in the sense of the, for the carnal man, for the natural man to realize his need for God. When I operate in the law, when I become a, a purveyor, a teacher of rules and regulations in order to produce transformation, I will always be unstable in my Christian walk. And I will vacillate back and forth. I will have times where of seeming victory, but then times of great defeat, discouragement. Um, and there will be a sense of, that I do not sense the presence of God, and my relationship with him will come into question in my mind. When my heart is established in grace, the light of the glory of God, when it's shined into our life, when we realize that we are fully holy receivers, that I receive the grace of God first, before I can do anything, before anything that would be expected of me, never comes for receiving God's grace, receiving the Spirit of God, not forgetting the Spirit of God, the ministry of the Spirit of God, which brings to remembrance the things that have been taught, which reveals to me the person of Jesus Christ through the Scriptures, and the, and the person and Jesus, what Jesus reveals to me when, when He is revealed is the heart and the mind of the Father, which is always eternally gracious. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are receivers of God's grace, unmerited, while we were his enemies. And the picture, the end of our life is a great picture of how we should live our whole life. And we will live it then and have great stability. There is no way any human being could get to heaven on his own power. It is not possible. At the end of our life, when we breathe our last breath, 
Angels will come and usher us into through those gates, up and into the presence of God. Even in the last moment, we do not have power to reach the unapproachable light where God dwells. We are only present there in his presence because he sent messengers to come and get us and bring us to him. The Bible is that messenger working in our lives today. When the light of the glory of God through the scriptures pierces the darkness of our lives, we are ushered into the presence of God. And if we are responsible to receive God's grace, and we, and we mix faith with the word of God, and we see the, the light that he gives us now, he will give us more light tomorrow. And my past doesn't have to function in my present, ruining my future. But instead, I can operate by faith, and then the light of God transforms my life now and gives me hope for the future. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. Maybe you've only lived in instability up until this point, an emotional roller coaster, living foolishly, really. But now you have an opportunity, an opportunity to agree with God, to receive what the Son of God has done on your behalf. That he loved you, he gave himself for you, he died on a cross for you. Going through the agony that he went through, he was never unstable. He was fully trusting in his Father. It was amazing that he could die without sin there in our place. And now he wants to give that stability, that settledness of heart, that peace that passes understanding to you. You receive him as your Savior. You will have that now and then it will be at your disposal through your life until that day when you breathe your last breath and you are in his presence, stable, fully you, forevermore living with him in glory. Maybe a pray prayer. Lord, I believe in you. I believe in you. God, restructure my soul. Make my spirit alive. I pray. I receive the free gift of salvation you offer to me based on your work of the cross. And I ask you to come into my life, transform me. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.